Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, August 17th. You may hear some background noise throughout the course of this episode. That's because our Cracked Rackets team is officially on the road headed to this weekend's LS Pro Tennis Challenge. We are so excited to be able to to bring that action to you all this Friday and Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Not only will we have some fantastic tennis for all of you fans, we'll also have the opportunity to speak with each of the participants, whether it be current top 100 player Hugo Gaston, former top 50 player Ryan Harrison, this year's junior Wimbledon boys singles finalist Michael Zhang, a couple of others as well, going to be a fantastic weekend of action. We're so excited for it. We dusted off ye old Dalton Thieneman coming out of retirement to join us on the trip. We've got the full Cracked Rackets Holy Trinity here headed to the LS Pro Tennis Challenge. But of course, before that action begins this weekend, we've got a decent sized event happening on the ATP WTA calendar this week. Of course, I'm referring to the 1,000-level action happening over in Cincinnati, technically Mason, Ohio. I know the Mason natives would want me to mention that fact. We, of course, have the Western and Southern Open taking place this week, one of the final big events before the 2022 U.S. Open begins. And, of course, our Cracked Rackets team had that opportunity to be on the grounds there Sunday through Tuesday, had the opportunity to speak with a bunch Bunch of the players competing in the action. If you missed any of those conversations, head on over to our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. We've got two from the presser segments from for all of you listeners. Excuse me. I had the chance to sit down for about five minutes with just a plethora of ATP players. And again, if you haven't already checked those out, far better than hearing my voice, you can hear from the actual participants in this week's action talk about not only their successes so far, but where they're at on this 2022 calendar. So yes, a bit of a plug to start today's show, but really enjoyed being able to produce that content for all of you tennis fans. Know you're all going to enjoy those conversations. So head on over to the Cracked Interviews podcast feed to check them out. But enough with the plugs. The focus of this episode going to be bringing all of you listeners up to speed on this week's action happening in Mason, Ohio. What a jam-packed first few days of play and certainly a 1000 level event is always going to be chaotic those first few days of action even when it's a top seed versus an unseeded player that unseeded player at worst is like 32 33 in the world as such the play always seems to deliver and given where we're at right now in terms of perspective on the ATP WTA Tour yes we know on the men's side Rafa Djokovic they're still the hegemony that dominates all Grand Slam events on the women's side Iga has been better than the rest of the field this year there's no ifs ands or buts about it that said she's not playing her best tennis and with all due respect to Simona Halep, has there been a definitive challenger to Iga Swiatek this season outside of Ashley Barty, who is obviously now retired? The answer to that pre- question is probably no. As such, it feels like these two events, the men's, women's singles action, it's wide open this week in Cincinnati. And as all of us try to figure out who's going to be competing for that U.S. Open title, if Novak Djokovic isn't in the field on the men's side, is Rafa the definitive favorite? Or at this point, 
moment of the calendar? Is his body too beaten down? Might there be someone else who can emerge to challenge him? That's something we're looking for this week in Cincinnati. Again, on the women's side, I believe three of last week's four semifinalists in Canada already eliminated from the event as such. You know, is Iga going to remind all of us why she is the definitive world number one? Might there be an Annette Conteve and Own Jabour, the players who have been in the mix? Can they earn a definitive title run? Those were the sorts of things I was looking for through my first few days on the grounds at Cincinnati. And while I didn't have the opportunity to watch Wednesday's matches in person, I was certainly following them from afar. So what I want to do on this podcast as part two of our two mini break Wednesday here. That's what you do when you're on the road. Westoff and I trying to find any excuse to avoid talking to one another. So I was like, let me record another podcast. Knock out an hour of this drive. We'll be that much closer to the hotel. So on this show, going to get all of you listeners again back up to speed so that you feel ready for the next few days of tennis that unfold. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on this podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners who we are immensely grateful for, for tolerating all the nonsense we put you through here at Crack Rackets. And of course, we here at CR know it's our obligation to ensure you remain the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business the way we think best to do that, provide you these daily podcasts. So obviously, we are immensely grateful. All of you continue to tune in. As such, we will continue to provide these shows for all of you. Of course, the other thing I want to give a massive shout out to is our friends at Tennis Point, who not only are showing their investment in the uh, sport, excuse me, let's try that again, their investment in the sport by investing in the game at the grassroots level, whether it be at the junior level where they're supporting tournaments across the country, their investment in the collegiate game, not just sponsoring the rankings, but helping to put on what was a very fun college showcase event in Cincinnati. And of course, how else does Tennis Point help the tennis community? By providing the best equipment at the lowest prices. And you can find all of that gear at one location tennis-point.com. You use our promo code CR15. Not only will they let them know we sent you there, but you get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, we are immensely grateful to Tennis Point, who is well aware of the necessity of providing a daily podcast to tennis fans so that you can keep caught up with all the action that unfolds. The least we can do uh, is ask you to support them as well. Tennis-Point That promo code is CR15. With that said, let's talk about the tennis we've seen unfold in Cincinnati over the past few days. And if you listen to part one of this podcast, you heard me just horribly try to transition from a Manscaped ad to the WTA action that uh, that happened in Cincinnati. The reason I bring that up, not to highlight my inability to work my way through these podcasts, but to point out the fact that if you are looking for more in-depth coverage of the women's side of the event, check out that earlier podcast on this edition of the show. I'm going to start out by focusing on the men's side, then we'll get into all of today or day three, Wednesday's action at the Western and Southern Open. And, you know, with that in mind, the place I want to start on the men's side, it's tough. I wanted to start with the birthday boy, Yannick Sinner, who found his way somehow to the third round, second round, excuse me, of this event with a three-set win over Tanasi Kokonakis on Tuesday. Sinner follows that up with a comfortable straight-set victory over Kesmenovic here on Wednesday. But I just can't. I can't start 
with Yannick Sinner. I can't start with some of the top seeds we've seen compete. And I'm recording this podcast Wednesday, August 17th, 11.27 p.m. Again, shout out to this Cracked Rackets car. We made it seven hours of heartful conversation. I should say a hearty four-hour nap for me to start the ride, which I think everyone in the car was happy about. But certainly, yeah, you can hear Dalton in the background. My goal is to make, actually not Dalton laugh. I don't really care if he laughs, but if Westoff laughs at least twice in this podcast, I know it's an all-time episode. So be on the lookout for me to try to force some jokes their way. That said, again, as much as I would love to start with a top seed like a Daniil Medvedev or you know some of the other three-set performances, and there have been a number of them through the first few days of action on the men's side, we have to start with Ben Shelton. And we talk about Ben Shelton a lot here at Cracked Rackets because I like to think we are the outlet you turn to for all of your college tennis coverage week in, week out throughout the course of the year. And for those of you unacquainted with Ben Shelton, although there's no way someone listening to Wednesday, August 17th, the mini break podcast doesn't know who Ben Shelton is at this point. But if for some reason you're a new listener here, A, welcome to our Crack Rackets family. B, Ben Shelton, only 19 years old, and yet he's already accomplished so much in his young career, knocked off all those boxes you like to see from a young player in their ascension into the tennis world. Of course, for Ben, it really started... January of last year. Yeah, he was a blue chip recruit on the USDA Junior Boys circuit. Yeah, he was a player a lot of people turned to with his size, his frame, his athleticism, the things he could do when playing his best on court. A lot of promise for Ben Shelton. You know, a lot of high praise for him throughout the course of his junior career. But we all saw it manifest itself in his freshman season at Florida where playing number five singles, he lost, I want to say, four dual matches throughout the course of the year at that number five spot. I think he went 112-4. and four. You guys can all fact-check me there. That's a lie. I was trying to put in a fake stat, get a quick laugh out of Daniel Westoff. It didn't work. 0 for 1. We'll keep a running count on this podcast. But, you know, went something like, I want to say it was 29-7 and 7 or 29-8. and 8. A fantastic record for any freshman, but an accomplishment that was overshadowed in during that college tennis season. We weren't riding the hype train for Ben Shelton the way his results his sophomore season over this past year might have indicated, and that's because, and perhaps now I'm offering you all too much detail, but Ben was part of one of the better classes of talent we've seen in college tennis emerge over the course of the past decade. You think of guys like Jeffrey von der Schulenberg and Yaki Montez, Chris Rodesh, Micah Braswell, just the countless impressive and successful freshmen last season sophomores you could find on rosters across the country you know Ben because he joined the national championship winning University of Florida played five singles as a freshman and five singles players aren't typically guys who you see make a jump the next season and make multiple challenger finals and reach third rounds of western and southern opens and beat top 10 players in the world obviously Ben has done that here at the Western Southern Open. And again, this is what we've seen from Ben over the course of the past year, whether it was winning the Futures title in Champaign last summer, making the finals of the boys' 18s at Kalamazoo, following that up by winning the College ITA All-American, being the number one player in the country, really from January to May, throughout the course of this 2022 college tennis season. And then, of course, winning that NCAA National Championship in singles in May, ensuring himself a U.S. Open wild card. And the moment he won that national championship, all of us began thinking, 
all right, this guy's turning pro, right? It would be a crime for him to return to college tennis. Not because we don't want to see him there. How could we not enjoy watching Ben Shelton compete? But you just feel like for Ben, with how good he so clearly and visibly is, how much upside remains in his game, you just felt like it would be a crime to tennis to not unleash him onto the professional tennis world. And we said all year here at Cracked Rackets, Ben's going to play himself out of college tennis. That's the bet we were making, that Ben will be so highly ranked by the time this 2022 season ends that it will just be unavoidable for him to not, you know, turn pro. It, he just it, he will have to do it. The rankings will necessitate it. You know, he, in essentially three months of action, Ben Sheldon has become the third highest ranked teenager in the world. Let me say that again. In essentially three months of pro tennis action, because he wasn't playing pro events from January to May. He was competing with his Florida Gators. He pretty much started his full-time, you know, pro summer at the end of that NCAA championship in May. You know, right off the bat, I want to say it was in Little Rock, makes the semifinals there at the challenger level. Subsequently, he's made challenger finals in Rome, in Indianapolis. He made the challenger final in Indianapolis, right, Dalton? Or did he lose in the semifinals there? It was either finals or semifinals. You can fact check me. It was the finals. He lost the evening. Yeah, he lost to Kova in the semis. Good call by you, super producer. Not super producer, but in this moment, content producer Dalton Thieneman. Semifinals, okay, of Indianapolis. But then last week, last week, he made the finals in Chicago. And we talk all the time about the championship hangover. And I know this is the full genesis of the Ben Shelton career. Put this on his refrigerator. This is the narrative to now just these three minutes are his Wikipedia profile, folks. Um, but for Ben Shelton to go from the Chicago final last year, where he was, uh, last week, excuse me, on Sunday, he was up a break in the third set on Roman Safillin, up a break in the third 4-3, loses that match 7-6 in the third. The next week, it's a wild card into the Western Southern Open main draw, a wild card he didn't know about until late last week due to some withdrawals we saw happen prior to the event. Ben shows up in Cincinnati, Main draw wild card. Not only does he earn his first top 100 victory in the first round, and for Shelton, it was an impressive three-set victory against Lorenzo Sanego, where he was the aggressor from the start. He was the guy whose serve, whose forehand, were the biggest weapons on the court. And what was so fascinating is, again, Lorenzo Sanego, 26 years old, the guy who has won an ATP, you know, been in ATP finals, been a top 30 guy in the world. His serve, his forehand, his athleticism, you would think with his institutional knowledge, he would just be better prepared to execute that plus one game style. Instead, it was the 19-year-old Ben Shelton, who just everything was a little bit more efficient. Hit the spots he hit on his serve were just a little bit more accurate. The variety of his plus one forehand, whether it's inside in, inside out, just driving through that ball, moving forward behind that ball, properly addressing and putting away overheads when those opportunities to serve and volley or sneak forward presented themselves. Ben played grown man tennis. There's just no other way to say it. 19 years old, he's got the body of a 26-year-old. I mean, 6'4", 6'5", he seems to somehow put on you know three pounds of muscle every time I see him and just you also feel like every time he hits the ball he's fighting himself not to put on another 25 percent of power that it just feels like there's another gear of back of racket speed even with how impressive Ben is that he still has that ability to hit 
it's just immensely impressive. And of course, as as well fought and as impressive, I'm going to keep turning to that word because I'm running out of words here to compliment Ben with. As impressive as he was against Sonego, today he cruised against Kasparu. Sheldon, a 6-3-6-3 victory over the French Open finalist uh, to advance to his first third round at the 1,000 level on the ATP Tour. And you look for Ben Shelton. Comes the youngest player since Andy Roddick uh, on the American side to earn a top 10 victory. Let me say that again. Youngest player since Andy Roddick as an American to earn a top 10 victory. I said this on the grounds. I want to say it was to you, Dalton, maybe to a couple of others as well as we were previewing that Shelton Kasparud match following his victory. And I, sh- I wish I had a podcast where I could have recorded this on. If you listen to uh, Bet the Lines, our tennis.com betting show that I get to participate in about two or three times a week, I did say I think the draw looked good for Ben Shelton because he's just a miserable matchup for so many opponents. And as I said to Dalton yesterday, I thought this was a great matchup for Shelton against Casper Ruud because Ben Shelton does things that makes Casper uncomfortable. The same way Rafa hits slice, slice lefty serve after slice lefty serve into the backhand of Casper Ruud in that French Open final. That's exactly what Ben Shelton was able to execute, dare I say flawlessly today, against Casper Ruud. Against the number five seed at Cincinnati, and right now you look in the live rankings, Kasparud currently sitting also at number six in the live rankings. Against the world number six, Ben Shelton dropped eight points on serve today. Eight points on serve today. It was on his terms, again, and he works his forehand so well around the court. His ability to get you know stretch himself into the outer thirds, his anticipation, his fluidity, he's just special. He's just one of those athletes. You know it when you see it. And again, it feels like he has to rein in. He has to rein himself in. You know, it's like if Ernest Golbus had a filter, that might be Ben Shelton, where you're just like, okay, you can really hit the ball bigger than any opponent at any moment, at any time you want, and it's just about picking your spots. And to see Ben in three months already have an ability to master this speed of the game and look like He's still learning in that process. It's a testament to his talent. And with his victory today, again, a 6-3, 6-3 win where not only does Shelton only drop eight points on serve throughout the course of the match made, you know, first of all, to drop only those eight points, he only made 59% of his first serves. He was just as effective with that second serve. Again, you know, 22 of 26 behind the first, 14 of 18 behind the second, didn't face a break point throughout the course of today's match. 14 of 18 at the net. 30 winners against 10 unforced errors. You know, Kasparud only made six unforced errors in this match, hit 15 winners against those six. That's not a bad ratio there, plus nine, but it didn't matter because everything was on Ben's terms. He was the aggressor, and there is a big picture thing certainly here for Kasparud, lefty's abilities to find his backhand early in the rally, particularly on faster surfaces. He just struggles in those matchups. I believe he's 0-3 against lefties on hard courts now here this season. But again, Ben didn't just beat him. Ben dominated him. And you look for Shelton now with this victory. He's the third highest ranked teenager in the world. It's Carlos Alcaraz, number one, Holger Runa, number two, Ben Shelton, number three. Again, you look for Shelton up to number 171 in the live rankings. He's 12th right now in the next-gen points race. 
12th in the race to the next-gen finals. That's on three months' play. I just, again, we all got excited about the Aslan Karatsev rides. That happened more gradually over six, seven months on the Challenger to the ATP Tour. We got excited about, you know, Iga Svantec's precipitous rise, and yet still we got to see her play a year, year and a half of tour play before really exploding at the 2020 French Open. Sheldon's done this in three months. Three months, he's a top 200 player in the world. He has no points to defend from January to May in 2023. I love you, Ben. You know I love you. You know I'd also say this to your face. You're not coming back to college. Like, he's just not. It would be a crime against tennis to not allow this man to go out on the pro tour and show his stuff. He's just, he is that good. He has those sorts of weapons. His game is ready. Physically, he's ready maturity-wise, I mean, again, the pace, the control, the command Shelton had against Casper today. And look, especially given the rain delays on day one, everyone was packed into the third set of his match against Lorenzo Sanego, and he was just ready for that crowd. He was ready to sign every autograph that was asked for after the match as well, and certainly it helps to have a dad who was a top pro on the tour as well to help offer you experience on what things have on you know on how to best maneuver life as a professional player but Ben Shelton's that guy and you know again he is one of those talents and here's a ludicrous take for you if I were to ask you right now five years from now who's the highest ranked American is it Fritz is it Tiafo? is it Tommy Paul Brooksby Corda Opelka or honest to God is the answer to that question now Ben Shelton is he the American who flashes the highest upside. For all of you who were riding the Martin Dom Express, and I know there weren't many of you, but some of you might have been riding that Martin Dom Express. I don't know how you can't ride the Ben Sheldon Express. Like, you all got a little scared because you went to college, and I get that. We're trying to break that stigma here at Cracked Rackets. We'll continue to work towards universal college tennis acceptance. I think that happens before universal health care. If you're asking me as a betting man, I'd say college tennis acceptance before health care. But we're going to get there. And certainly for Ben Shelton tomorrow, not only is it a battle of lefties, it's a battle of lefties who are former number one college tennis players in the country as he is taking on Cam Norrie. Iron lug Cam. That's what we got to start calling him. And I read an article today that said Cam Norrie has lungs that are like 1.75 times the average size of human lungs. And how he, after learning that, he's turned that to his advantage and you know, made himself a cardio fiend, and certainly his results seem to indicate as much as Nori. Two three-set victories on his way to the round of 16 here in Cincinnati. Nori 7-6-4-6-6-4 was a marathon match against Holger Runa. Similarly, another three-set marathon, 3-6-6-3-6-4 over fellow countryman Andy Murray. Nori just doesn't make mistakes. He's the epitome of efficiency. I honestly think the best version of a Jensen Brooksby someday is probably a slightly less souped-up version of Cam Nori, a guy who just is always making the right, you know, the high percentage play, a guy who's always making the right decision out on court. Nori just broke Andy Murray down. He forced Murray, he made that match extraordinarily physical and just, Again, Murray didn't have quite enough juice left in his legs after playing an extraordinarily physical round one match against Stan. But credit to Nori, who just, again, says, okay, you're playing well today. I bet you can't keep it up. 
and oftentimes his opponents can't keep it up. And so, again, that's a very exciting, and that's like the undercard of undercard matchups in the round of 16 at Cincinnati, and yet for us here at Cracked Rackets, that might be one of our dream matchups. That's one we're certainly looking forward to over on Thursday. But enough on the college lefties who have had success on the men's side so far. want to move on to talk about other successes. Let's get to the birthday boy, now 21-year-old Yannick Sinner. And for the record, if you are out in Mason, Ohio, and you see Yannick Sinner out on the town drinking up, drinking it up and enjoying his 21st birthday, please send us videos at Cracked Rackets. I am pretty sure... The term's teetotaler, right? Like someone who doesn't drink booze, you're a teetotaler. I think that's the the historical reference. If I told you Yannick Sinner has never had a sip of alcohol, that he's just married to the game, that his idea of a luxurious drink is going whole milk instead of 2% in his chocolate milk, like I feel like that's the profile of a Yannick Sinner. doesn't help that he's a ginger. doesn't help to have those freckles. only adds to your innocence quotia. Uh, quotia, that's not a word. Quota, but leave it in. Super producer Daniel Westhoff. Um, all of that said, he's becoming a man out there on court. There's no doubt about it. And for Yannick Sinner, it's a little baptism by fire as Sinner, you know, was down break points 3-4, third set, 30-40, comes up with a big plus one and executes on a volley, something he doesn't always do comfortably to fight off the break point. Ultimately, two big plus ones. He finds himself holding 4-4-0 and ultimately earns a 7-6 in the third victory over the cock, Tenassi Kokonakis. Look, Tenassi, who I heard there's some disagreement or dispute now. Is it Tenassi? Is it Thanassi? We'll have to have the opportunity to ask him at some point to get that decisive answer, but uh, certainly Kokonakis plays grown man tennis. When he steps into his forehand, when he gets his legs, his weight, his momentum behind a shot, you're just in trouble as his opponent. And even Yannick Sinner was feeling the weight of that ball throughout the course of their first round match. Sinner was also serving like poop. I mean, he was under 50% for the first serve percentage for the first two and a half sets of the match. And, you know, finally, as the match progressed, seemed to finally find his rhythm in the third. But Man, Sinner just competes. And, you know, last year I'm and early in the season I made the point, and we've talked about this before dating back to that Tiafo match in Vienna where it felt like, you know, Sinner started to feel consciously like I need to be a little bit more energetic. I need to be a little bit more positive, voc- a little bit more vocal, a little bo- bit more outwardly emotional on court. He's gotten better at it. Like everything in Yannick Sinner's life, with repetition, he comes to master that skill set, and he just had the crowd behind him. He had himself amped, and certainly to watch him roar after winning on the match point, unloading on a return deep at the feet of, uh, excuse me, unloading on a return to get the mini break, and then plus one into the corner to force the Kokonakis passing shot error. I mean, credit to the Sin Man, who's into another round of 16 and looking at the stats for this season. Yannick Sinner, one of just seven players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. Yannick Sinner, uh, you look at win percentage, he's fifth on the ATP Tour coming into this week's winning 78% of his matches. That's getting the job done. Sinner also currently tied for sixth in terms of most quarterfinals on the season. He's been one of the guys that matter. He's just been one of the guys in the mix, week in, week out. And again, I've made this case before. I had this conversation with some people on the Cincinnati tournament staff when asking who are the biggest draws right now in professional tennis. Is Sinner a top five guy? No. 
Has he worked himself into the top 10, top 8 of that conversation? Certainly, and I think the Alcaraz-Sinner matchup as an individual appealing match is top five men's or women's and I think that's even including Djokovic Nadal and all the permutations that entails certainly we just learned Serena Williams is going to sell out a stadium no matter who she plays when it's Emma Raducanu it's that much better but Alcaraz and Sinner are two of the guys that matter two of the guys who people show up for and it's because they're captivating Yannick Sinner's forehand sounds like a rocket ship is taking off and you know again I'm weird but that sound is one of the more appealing sounds to me. Like some people like falling asleep to the sound of rain. I could listen to the pop of Alcaraz Sinner and FAA's forehands just on repeat in my ear. And, you know, again, that's that's a soothing day at the office for me. Sinner, impressive to get through that first round victory over Kokonakis. Brutal for Kokonakis not to get through in that match, particularly after he comes through in qualifying which, with a couple of impressive victories over Ilya Ivashka, Benoit Pair, respectively. But Yannick Sinner into another round of 16, where now the Sin Man is, a, is awaiting the winner of... Oh, excuse me, no. We get a rivalry du jour. Let's go. Felix Ogier Aliasim taking on Yannick Sinner. FAA 1-0 in his career against Sinner. Felix getting to the third round via a dominant straight set victory over Alex Diemenauer. And yeah, Felix was awful in his loss against Kasparud last week. But it's just a stark reminder. When Felix is landing the serve, the plus one forehand, it's better than Berrettini. It's just elite. And it's just the physicality that follows behind it. The fact that he can drive through his backhand as well. Do all of these little things so extraordinarily well. I mean, Felix, again, dominant today. The pace of his forehand. The heaviness of that ball more than anything else. Just There wasn't much Demon Hour could do on his forehand wing short of finding himself 12 feet behind the baseline and playing defense. And just when you find yourself in that court position against Felix, you've already lost. So credit to Felix. He looked very good in his opening round. Now just hopefully you don't get the lay, uh, the same sort of brain fart, I should say, as we saw for him last week in his quarterfinal match against Casper Ruud. Sinner, Felix, popcorn sort of match. Very much looking forward to it at the Western and Southern Open as we go through the rest of the draw. Let's talk about who's impressed, who hasn't so far on the men's side. A little rapid fire here as we try to set the scene for, of course, the remainder of the action. You look at Thompson, Daniil Medvedev. It was fine. I mean, could he? Uh, did he play with his food a little bit before eating it? Of course he did, but that's typical Daniil Medvedev. Was up a double break in set number one, kind of, you know, mixed in some drop shots, a couple jumping backhands, the serve and volley, the things that make you scratch your head, but certainly stay in your seat whenever you watch him play. But ultimately, four and five, he advances uh, over Botik Vandesen Schkulp. And, you know, credit to Botik. His forehand's gotten a little bit bigger. And, you know, again, I say this to all of you listeners all the time. Botik, born October 4th, 1995, two days before me. As such, I feel like we got a tie between the two of us. It also makes me feel like I have two days of time to get my life together before it's like, well, you know, Botik's already top 50 in the world. It's like, yeah, but he's two days older than me, so I still got a little bit of time. That said, I thought he did a good job just uh, the physicality he plays with is really the term that comes to mind. He's going to make you work. He's going to make you beat you. And again, Medvedev's strength on strength, and so certainly Medvedev was able to withstand that, ultimately get through in straights, but 
that was a fun match. And credit to BBDZ, best name on tour and, you know, very, very different sort of game. I'm not going to say unique because that word gets overused. And I think Medvedev's just the better version of Botic, but a shot maker who does it in a variety of ways. Still Medvedev right now, according to Tennis Abstract, 15.1% chance of winning the tournament. That's second highest odds behind Carlos Alcaraz, who, I mean, look, I know my mom listens to all of these podcasts. I don't think this is the way she would want to find out this information. I've fallen in love and it's with the Carlos Alcaraz forehand. Watching it in person, the how round the backswing is, the contact point, the racket speed he generates, the shape of the ball coming off of his racket, how every time you're like, that ball's going through the back fence, that ball might take off an eye of someone in the front row, and then it just drops in, you know, past the service line. I'm in love. I really am in love. Like, I get it now. And, of course, on TV, that ball already looks spectacular. In person, it's just breathtaking. And Mackie played really well yesterday. And Mackie's the sort of top-tier athlete, the sort of guy who wants his opponent to give him top spin to work with. He can play a little bit flatter, just drive through the ball. There were times when Mackie played extraordinary aggressive tennis. It just doesn't matter because... Carlos is going to track down your approach shot. He's going to dip the plus one a pass at your feet. He's going to track down that second pass, blitz it by you. When you give him even a split second on the forehand, you've lost the point because he can go inside out with the first ball, and then you're paralyzed. Is he going inside out again? Is he hitting the drop shot? Is he hitting the short angle? What is he going to be doing throughout the course of the match? You're just always on your heels. The backhand, again, the drive he's able to produce on it, it's fascinating. One of my takeaways being in person, a bit of a tangent here, backhands are just flatter than you expect them to be. And, you know, again, it's not as though these guys have a lot of time at the baseline. And another conversation I was having with Dalton Thieneman and talking with Jamie McDonald as well, our friend here at Crack Rackets, about my reflections. A, watching all of these matches in person, I just never understand how any of these players lose. Because you just watch them play and you're like, you are so good at tennis. How does someone beat you at this sport? And, like, that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two, I'm always confident every ball is sailing past the baseline and still somehow it drops in. That's a testament to the racket speed, the contact points, the strings, etc. Um, you know, again, part three of that argument is just... Backhands look a little bit flatter than you would expect. A lot of them are absorb, redirect, short, compact backswings that are going for depth and timing more than, you know, pace and action on the ball. And everything Carlos Alcaraz does has action on it. And just, again, the contact point is special. Do I think he should be favored over Daniil Medvedev via the percentages? No, I do not, particularly when Felix, Yannick Sinner, and Rafa are all on Alcaraz, not Medvedev's side of the draw. But... You know, Medvedev's, or excuse me, Alcaraz coming into this week in Cincinnati, second on the tour in win percentage. He's won 84% of his matches this year. That's prime Nadal, prime Djokovic, prime Federer levels of success. And he's 19 years old. And it, hot take here for all of you listeners. Better, you know, slow down wherever you're driving. Carlos Alcaraz is really good at tennis. And watching him in person just confirmed all of those takes. So Alcaraz into round number three where he will take on Marin Cilic. Good wins for Cilic to advance in this tournament thus far. You know, uh, three and three over Munar. 
uh, three-set victory for him over Emil Rusevori, who I'm just all in on. And I'm not going to do another Rusevori segment for all of you listeners because God knows you've heard it enough throughout the course of this year. But when we look at back at things we got right, things we got wrong, I thought Kennan was going to have a bounce-back season. I was wrong about that. I did think both Miamir Kesmenovic as well as uh, Emil Rusevori were going to be two of the low-key breakout stars who just get themselves in that conversation in the, you know, Hoopy Hercots to Karen Hatchnov tier of player, and they both definitively have this season. And that said, look, I'm not going to waste time analyzing Marin Cilic because it's not 2007, um, but when he serves well, when he plays big, he's good enough, as we saw earlier this season, to make the semifinals of a Grand Slam. And he's playing well this week in Cincinnati. Certainly he advances now to the round of 16. And just to sort of rapid fire again, where do things stand in the men's draw before we move on to the day four, uh, day three, whatever day we want to call it, women's results. You look at quarter number one in the draw, that Daniil Medvedev quarter of the draw, the top seed now going to face Denis Shapovalov. Shapovalov had had won one total match that first round of Wimbledon one total match since beating Nadal in Rome on the clay or wherever it was Madrid earlier this season he's now won two matches in a single event beats Dimitrov in three sets a erratic but I guess impressive three-set victory over Tommy Paul here uh, in round number two and you know again you look for uh, for Shapovalov in this match just for both of these guys, it was impressive. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Certainly, uh, you look for Tommy. Uh, I mean, both of these guys over the minus 10 ratio in terms of winners versus unforced errors. And yet, again, all Shapovalov has to do is really get hot for a second. And if he is able to get hot, then he's rocking and rolling. And, you know, again, he, he just as quickly as he can lose 11 points, he can win 12 points consecutively as well and just had a little bit more juice down the home stretch of that match. 3-6-6-4-6-3 over Tommy Paul. There are certainly fine feats of athleticism, albeit erratic play. If you're Tommy, you're up a set in 4-1 got to close that bad boy out and certainly I think we're all feeling confident about TP I would say he's a top 20 guy if not maybe even top 15 heading into New York and again four quarterfinals in his last seven events one of the other ones was a round of 16 at Wimbledon the stats the eye test all these things would indicate as much that said good win for Shapovalov uh, it's going to be fun to watch he and Medvedev face off as Shapovalov, 2-2 two and two in his career against Daniil Medvedev, has the sort of weapons to certainly give Medvedev troubles throughout the course of that match. Of course, also in that section, how about this section? Again, a next-gen wet dream, dare I say. Daniil Medvedev versus Denis Shapovalov, Andre Rublev versus Taylor Fritz. Come on now. Like, this is the next-gen vision we imagined five years ago when I recorded yeah it's August 17th 2022 this is about the five-year anniversary of our first Cracked Rackets podcast give or take a couple of weeks and so yeah shout out to us do you remember the first Cracked Rackets podcast I remember it it was anyone in the front back either of you no Marin Chilich crying Wimbledon final 2017 come on it's all right I'll remember it for all of us um yeah, that, that, yeah. I'm assuming that was laughing at a one-liner West offset in response to what I said. This is why we need to give him. Yeah. Oh, the tennis player comp. Well, first of all, and I apologize. I know you listeners can't really hear them in the background. I'll try and put the microphone up there if I ask them a question. But do we agree that this is – and this is back – okay, I'm not going to say that out loud. Um, 
This is back when, let's just say, I put a lot of thought into every segment we did on this show. And it was it was because it wasn't a daily show. And, you know, again, when you're doing a daily show, you, sometimes you just got to crank out the results and talk about what happened in a given day. Give the update that I know the listeners need. But back then, we went really hard on every segment. And honest to God, as a gift to the listeners, DT, and give me a thumbs up if you think if this is a good idea, we should replay the the Combine, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, who was the best at each of those three at, at the various things. Whether it was who would score highest on the ACT, who would do the best in the 40-yard dash, who would win the Bachelor. Like, all of the, that segment would hold up five years later. I feel really good about it. And I, I actually brought that up with Max Rothman, who was on that podcast, and I visited when I was in L.A. Like, that was one of our better – I still think that's one of our better segments. And – yeah, and, and and I think, yes, Dalton is saying, hold on, I'm going to give him the microphone for a second. We're going to re-listen to that podcast right when we get off here. Well, hold on. On, on that thought, let's not listen to the entire thing because there's some analysis I would certainly like back. Also, to you, Super Producer Daniel Westoff, do you know I used to make Fliegner listen to the whole episode with me afterwards and we'd edit out segments? Can you imagine if I made you do that? We would have gotten a divorce by now, right? If we had to do that for every episode. There's no way it would work with, again, the pods we're churning out. Anyways, tangent aside. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. That was I DM'd you. Yeah. You know, again, now we're going down memory lane here. Dalton's speaking to me in the background. My first call with Dalton I thought actually mattered, and I was, like, so serious and prepared for it, and boy, was I wrong. Let's just say that all these years later. And so, nevertheless, again— this is the next-gen fantasy we've imagined for five years. Medvedev versus Shapovalov, Fritz versus Rublev. I'm taking Medvedev to advance because he's going to win this title and just remind all of us why I think he's the favorite going into the U.S. Open, particularly if there is no Novak Djokovic in the field. But, man, prove it sort of moment for Rublev, who is 2-3 and three in his career against Taylor Fritz. And Fritz today just, you could tell Kyrgios didn't have a lot of gas left in the tank. Fritz had the sort of weapons, took advantage of that fact. Fritz was very good against Seb Baez in round number one as well. Just used the heaviness of his ball, the height of his serve, to take control of the point from the get-go against the smaller in stature Baez. And look, for Andre Rublev, good opening victory for him. Three-set comfort behind against Fabio Fonini. It's a very fun matchup between Fritz, Rublev, Medvedev, Shapovalov. I'll take Medvedev to advance out of the section. You look at the next quarter, CT is going to take on Diego Schwartzman. Schwartzman, two marathon three-set victories over Molchen. And who did he beat last night? Aslan Karatsev in a marathon match. That's a Jewish-on-Jewish crime, by the way. Two Jewish ATP players playing in the round of 32 in Cincinnati. Shout-out to us. Um, but, yeah, Schwartzman, three-set victory. He's going to take on Tsitsipas. Look, they played a great match to start the year this season at the ATP Cup. It's been brutal for Schwartzman ever since. This is his best hardcourt result of the season. Tsitsipas cruising today, straight sets over Philip Krajinovic. Tsitsipas should cruise in this matchup, and if he wants to be considered a top-five guy entering the Open, he needs to start playing better tennis because obviously wasn't at his best in a first-round loss to Jack Draper last week in Canada. Other players in this section of the draw, Tiafa was up a set and on serve in the second against Seb Kort. Not exactly sure what the match score is now. John Isner, three-set win over Hubie Hercots. When Isner serves well, he gets a break of serve. He can beat anyone. That's not a revelation to anyone who is listening to this podcast. 
Am I really going to say it's going to be a chalk Medvedev Tsitsipas top half semifinal? I am. I'm going to be ex- excessively boring here today. Tiafo obviously exceptional in his three-set victory over Matteo Berrettini in round one. And when he's landing the serve, hitting the backhand aggressively, has the crowd behind him. Again, I was speaking with a prominent member of the Western Southern Open staff while on the grounds, and I was asking, taking, doing my field work, as I like to call it here at Cracked Rackets, and saying, who are the most appealing players? Who puts butts in seats from a tournament you know, administration perspective? And this person answered unequivocally, Francis Tiafo has to be a top five name. And what was fascinating is this person also said, Roger Federer's your unequivocal one on the men's side. Nadal's your two. This person, again, prominent in the Cincinnati staff, had Kyrgios at three and said Tiafo has to be in the top five conversation of that discussion. Now, again, that's a conversation I want to have with one of our big brains, whether it be David Kane or one of the many other members we bring on this show. That's not a topic I want to explore entirely on my own, but it is a fascinating thought. And I'll tell you this, people were excited for Tiafo Berrettini and, you know, Berrettini didn't serve enough to the Francis forehand. He was too uh, stubborn in saying, no, my serve's going to beat you no matter where I serve to. He should have just started picking on that Francis forehand over and over again. But, man, Francis kept pace with him on serve and his ability to move forward, his ability to, you know, handle the Berrettini slice and make Berrettini hit the ball from uncomfortable positions on the court. Credit to Tiafo, played a great match and, again, was up a set and a break on Sebi Korda, who just blitzed. Karen Hatchinov in round number one. And Korda looks healthy again, which is the biggest thing for him. And I would encourage all of you to go listen to our conversation with him after that first round Hatchinov victory because Korda revealed to us that this year, for really the first time in his career, he's healthy enough to start lifting weights, to actually start putting on muscle, putting on strength. And the concept of a guy that has that 6'5 frame, his weapons hasn't been lifting to this point of his career. Like, what's going to happen when he becomes a man? Like, hits puberty and puts on that muscle. We already know how capable he is as a tennis player, but when the physicality, which it sounds like there's a whole door left to unlock, does indeed become unlocked, look out, tennis world. Sebi Korda is coming. Uh, Three Americans still alive in this section. You got to love that. I'll go chalk, though. I'll take Tsitsipas Medvedev to advance out of this. Now, that third section, Alcaraz, Nori, Chilich, Shelton. You want me to take Nori. I know you do. I want to take him, too. I'd love to. You want me to take Shelton? No, I'm going to take Alcaraz. I'm going to stay excessively boring just to, you know, again, make Daniel Westoff feel at home. Um, No laugh? No laugh from the front? Come on. That was was an easy one. Um, I got a chuckle from Dolan at the end. Um, You're not boring, by the way, Westoff. You're the most dynamic man I've ever met. Chilich, yeah, leave. Oh, there's no editing in this pod. We're leaving it all in, boys. Um, all right, Chilich versus Alcaraz. Alcaraz. Chilich has the weapons to at least make Carlos's life uncomfortable. But, oh, I should be asking you guys. We'll go through it momentarily. Um, I'll take Alcaraz to advance out of this section. I'm going to go with the top four seeds. Really creative here, Alex. You're showing off for the bosses. None of you, you know, again, uh, this is... I, I was joking around before I started the podcast. All right, time to go to work. And Westoff was like, you're going to work? <laughs> like, I was like, kind of. Um, so, you know, you got to perform in front of your bosses. There's always a little extra pressure. So I'm going with the top four seeds. Smart thinking, Alex. Um, man, Felix Sinner is fun. 
RBA versus the winner of Chorich Rafa. Do we have a Rafa Chorich winner yet, DT? Uh, obviously, haven't gotten to see that match. I'm gonna throw. Chorich wins 6-3 in the third. Well, then people must go listen to our Cracked Interviews conversation with Borna Chorich talking about his comeback. Now, it was very clear to me, and this is one of the rumors from the grounds, that Rafa very much considered pulling the ripcord and not playing this U.S. Open because he didn't feel he was healthy enough, prepared enough to enter the event. So I'm not reading too much into this. Rafa still has 10 more days to prepare for the U.S. Open, but Borna Chorich is back. And you can tell the physicality is back. He looks comfortable on the backhand. He's landing the serve at a higher percentage. And more importantly, he's having more success behind his first serve because he's just more comfortable playing the plus one ball. The ground, uh, the, the little steps, the footwork is back. I mean, his backhand's always been special. He's got version 7.0 of his forehand going on right now as well. I'm all in on the return of Borna Chorch. Great to see him get the victory. Obviously disappointing for Rafa. And I still have to watch that match. So I owe all of you a descriptor on that. On tomorrow's podcast, I'll talk about Rafa's match. I'll talk about the two Toronto finals because I do want to talk PCB over Hubie as well as Halep over BHM, Beatrice Haddad Maya, because those matches were exceptional. But all right, good. I don't have to pick the top four seeds. I'm going to go with Sinner. Give me Sinner versus Alcaraz, Tsitsipas versus Medvedev. That would be a fantastic weekend of action in Cincinnati and the perfect complement to our LS Pro Tennis Challenge, which, again, starts this Friday and Saturday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Now, with that said, I'll take Medvedev to win the title. I'll take him to knock out the Sin Man in the final. Dalton, you have a prediction for me? You just want to name you want to throw out there for the listeners that I can let them know who you're picking? Westoff, same deal as well. If you've got a name out there you want to pick, just feel free to fire it to the fans. I know they all want to know who does Daniel Westoff think is going to win. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hope all of you listeners heard that answer. We're going to have to get you mic'd up on these road trips now. I think it would be way more fun if we interact with one another. Yeah, he picked – his first answer was who's, who's even playing – I honestly thought you were going to pick Shelton slam dunk. I thought there was no way you were not picking Ben because you're, you know, who was it? Oh, my God. I forget who we were talking about, Westoff. That one time you were like, hey, how's this play? Like, I know this player's doing well because I've heard his name a bunch on the show of late. Oh, I forget who that was. It was like, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, oh, okay. Dalton, if you didn't hear that, is taking Taylor Fritz to win his second ATP Masters 1000. Says... He <laughs> can I make a joke? Do you think Hannah's gonna listen to minute forty nine of the mini break podcast? Uh, Hannah, his lovely fian- uh, fiance, now wife. Excuse me, it's been a while. Now wife, um, who is truly yeah, still in the honeymoon phase. That's funny. Um, yeah, I was gonna say Dalton picking Taylor Fritz as he is also an aspiring father. Um, but yeah, that joke was just for us here in this car. Um. No, you look for, again, you know who will hear that? Oh, my God. This is just for her now. Yeah, she's going to text me 100% and be like, oh, my God, are they pregnant? And I'm going to be like, no, it was just a joke. Um, I was like, I'm still their child. Come on. Um, yeah, they got to – if they need a dependent, they just file me or West off. Um, anyways, Medvedev wins the title. He'll knock out 
Sinner in the final. That's my prediction for Cincinnati on the men's side. Now, to quickly wrap this show, uh, because 50 straight minutes of silence in this car, I want to let Daniel Westoff get back to our... Are we going murder podcast or Big Brother podcast after this? We'll have to decide as a car, and maybe we'll take some requests moving forward. Or... I really just should start giving you hour-long updates. You know what? That's my promise to all of you listeners. When Westoff and I drive to Cleveland, we'll give you an update in the video every hour. We'll do a minute and a half. And in the hours that I'm sleeping, Westoff, just take a video of me and then your face and then me again and then your face. And that can be our brief updates for those hours. But we'll have some fun on that car ride home to plan accordingly because i got to get Super Producer Daniel Westoff as well as Dalton Thieneman into the mix. That said, also in the mix, obviously, the women's action happening over in Cincinnati. We already talked about the first two days of play. So I can focus now on just Thursday, excuse me, Wednesday's matches. It's transitioned to Thursday here on my clock. What stood out? Had a wave of withdrawals. Certainly Veronica Kudermatova, eighth advancement by withdrawal on the season. Now Kudermatova is also top five in total quarterfinals on the year. She's made eight total quarterfinals this season. That's tied for third with Halep and Benchich. You know, again, Eight advancements by withdrawals certainly help you in that fact, but she's followed up a lot of those win, uh, withdrawals with victories. And I said this on our earlier podcast. You can go hear me predict it. I said I would be shocked if Simona Halep won the match, and I said I'm pounding Kudermatova as an underdog uh, because I was at Halep Potapova yesterday, and when I say Halep had nothing left in the tank, nothing left in the tank at the end of that match. As such, she justifiably pulls the ripcord, going to get some rest before the action starts in New York. As such, another round three for Veronica Kudermatova, who will now advance to face the winner of Paula Bedosa and Alia Tomjanovic, your night match on Wednesday, and it's starting late over in Cincinnati. Just, you know, again, quickly updates. Iga Sviantek didn't play great. The serve was a bit erratic. The forehand sprayed, but 4-5 and five victory. Rode that physicality, and boy, did she need it. Some exceptional tennis against Sloan Stevens. I thought Sloan played really well this week in Cleveland. The dominant win over Cornet, the competitive match over Sviantek. Uh, Sviantek, though, 4-5 and five winner. She's now going to face Madison Keys. Maddie Keys is getting hot. Serves her way to a 4-5 and five victory. Power tennis against Yelena Ostapenko. I would venture they played fewer than 10 points. That went over five shots throughout the course of the match. Nevertheless, again, credit to Maddie Keys, uh, who certainly at the start of this year looked as good as any player in the world. And if she can regain that power tennis to uh, end this season, we all know the sort of factor she can be at the slams. Outside of that, Ali Risk. Advancing via withdrawal from Marie Buzkova. She's now going to face on Elena Rabakina. Rabakina dusting Garbine Muguruza 3-1. and one. The struggles continue for the Spaniard, but boy, I hope we get Iga Rabakina. We deserve that matchup. Two of our three Grand Slam champions here this season, but the only two who haven't retired yet this year. I'll take Rabakina. Let's get spicy. I'll take Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. I've been riding that Rabakina bandwagon, or at least I, I'm not. A, I, again, I I don't like to say I'm a fan of any particular players. I abhor the word standing. I just think a we're better than that. Why go through however many years of schooling you did to revert to a term like stand when there are just better words in the English dictionary to turn to? But I've always been a believer in the Elena Rabakina game, the power tennis she can play again, that elite tier of power tennis. We saw it at Wimbledon. I say she knocks out Iga here in Cincinnati. Quarter number two, 
Kudermatova taking on the winner of uh, Bedosa versus Al. Tom Kavitova has looked excellent in her two wins over Teichman and Kirstea. She is now going to take on Own Jabour. Jabour, a three set, seven six in the third victory over the hometown hero, Katie McNally. This is tough. This is tough. I'll go with Kvitova. I just feel like again, power. T- we're g- we're gonna ride the power tennis train. I'm a, I'm a, I've got a type clearly on that top half of the draw. Give me Rabakina uh, versus Kvitova on the top half. Bottom half, man. JPEG versus Radakanu is gonna be fun. Radakanu another dominant victory. 0-2 over Victoria Azarenka. And I've seen on tennis Twitter there's some criticism going around after the match. The post-match commentator goes, you know, Emma. You know, did your parents never teach you respect to your elders? You dominate Serena yesterday. You dominate Vika today, 0-2. And, you know, there was some response of, oh, that question was cringeworthy. Here's my response. I would have asked a question like that. And I think that's why I'm going to defend this guy is he it wasn't the best executed joke. He mumbled the wording, and that's why you always got to write those jokes in advance before a moment like that, folks. A little note for all of you at home. But he was just joking around. And, like, far too many people took it far too seriously. Uh, Let's laugh. Let's have some fun. That's what that, obviously, post-match interview is supposed to be about. But Emma's just locked in. And I went on Sky News today. Humble brag. I was Mr. Worldwide. We crossed that Atlantic. Call me Paul Revere, um, even though the British aren't coming. The Americans are coming. Still went on Sky News today um, to talk about Radakanu's victory, why these hard courts bring out the best of her tennis the numbers I would point to you she holds 63 points uh holds excuse me she wins 63.6 percent of her first serves on clay courts she wins 70 percent of her first serves on hard courts that's from going from 50 uh 47th amongst top 50 players to sixth amongst top 50 players the serve excuse me is the biggest struggle for her. And on a faster surface she's a little bit more bailed out uh she's a little bit more bailed out that wasn't English she's bailed out by the speed of that serve, helps her earn some more free points. And then she just returns serve so cleanly. The backhand looks so immense on this surface. She moves extraordinarily well, and she just hasn't made many unforced errors these first two days. So, again, she's going to face the most consistent player on the WTA Tour this season in Jessica Pagula. Pagula very, very quietly. Again, third right now in the points race. She's going to probably make the year-end finals this year, which at 28 years old, given how long it took her to crack the top 100, it's Karatsev's story on steroids, if we're being honest. But JPEG Radakanu is fun. Garcia versus Mertens. If this was 2018, we would have thought they would both be top 10 seeds at this event. They're not, but certainly that's a fun matchup. <sighs> do we ride the Radakanu wave or do we ride the Garcia ra- wave? Pagula is the only player from to, as a, who made the semifinals of Canada to still be alive. She's played a lot of tennis these past few days as such. Are we going Radakanu or Garcia, Dalton? One or two? Radakanu or Garcia? You decide here, and you can ultimately make our pick as we move forward. You know what? We got to ask Emma questions twice, and with the margins being as thin as they are, we'll go. I just need to talk that one out loud. We'll go Radakanu. Yeah, into the semifinals there. Sabalenka, Shelby Rogers, Power Tennis at its finest, Jung Shui versus Annette Conteve. We already talked about both of their victories. <sighs> I'll take Sabalenka. Why not? That's my theory. Pick her until eventually it pulls through. I'll go Sabalenka versus Radakanu. 
Kvitova versus Rabakina. That feels very W2A-ish. I feel good about that final. And I'll take Rabakina. Let's just, again, she's not top 10 in the world. She should be. I'll roll with Rabakina to advance. But, again, ultimately, I think it's going to be a really fun week of action in Cincinnati. And we will do our best to be back day in, day out to provide you coverage of all of the action as it unfolds. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our friends at Tennis Point for their support of this daily show. Go to tennis-point.com today. Use that promo code CR15. Do I give Westoff a shout-out for this podcast, even though he's not technically editing it? Yeah, I will, because he sat through it. Shout-out to him for the job he does day in, day out. Makes everything here at Cracked Rackets possible. Shout-out to Dalton as well. He sat there. He laughed. And I really needed that more than anything on today's show. So shout-out to you, DT. And, you know, again, with all that said, LS Pro Tennis Challenge Friday, Saturday, on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have clips from the players' party as well for all of you on Friday. Uh, With that said... For our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell our listeners? It was too quiet. He said that's the break, though, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.